welcome to How Fitting, the podcast about creating fashion and growing a business that fits your customer, your lifestyle, and your values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Stiles, who is a fashion brand consultant. So welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you for having me, Allison. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, for those listening who are meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Of course, yeah. I am Elizabeth Stiles and I am a fashion brand consultant. I work with independent brands on their manufacturing, marketing and their mindset as well, because that is the three key pillars that I think are really key to success and focusing on those areas will take you far Um, My background is in fashion buying, so I used to work for lots of different retailers, buying in from factories and selling through different retailers. Um, And then after about 10 years, maybe, of doing that, I then worked for a supplier selling into the buyers. So kind of the 360 Mm. opposite, um, seeing all sides of the buying and supplying process. And then it was in 2018 that I left my job to do this. Cool. Yeah. So you kind of have the whole background in fashion and kind of the commerce of fashion. So as opposed to more the design side, which I think like the business side of fashion is so important, as I'm sure you know, um, as well as just the designing of the product. Um, So today specifically, um, I know we want to talk about sales and kind of the mindset of selling and marketing the product like once you have it like how do you actually sell it and get it to your customers yes um yeah which I know you are you have like workshops on and talk a lot about and it's so key like you said the marketing is one of those key pillars of fashion business so as you're working with designers like what are some of the like the common opinions or thoughts you hear about sales and marketing that you hear a lot from the brands that you're working with? Yeah, definitely. I've got loads. <laughs> I've actually got a whole list here that I could go through. Um, so people are afraid to sell. They are um, feel lost. They don't want to come across salesy. Um, they maybe feel a bit confused or frustrated or overwhelmed. They worried, they're worried that their ideas aren't good enough in the first place. And so therefore, mm. like, really hold themselves back from that perspective. Um, they're scared of being judged. They're scared of what people might say. They're worried about spamming people. Um, a lot of designers are introverted. So selling doesn't feel like it comes naturally with that skill set. Um yeah like loads and loads of feelings I guess like that mm-hmm. come up to people when it comes to selling and you know a lot of designers maybe say like oh I'm generally a really positive person but then when it comes to sales and marketing I just get in this really negative headspace that I can't shake off like why would anyone be interested why would somebody take notice of me surely nobody's got any money at the moment to be spending on products like mine and you just so easily sort of talk yourself out of doing it and at all um Mm -hmm. so yeah they're probably some big ones that come up yeah yeah and that's a whole long list and I'm sure so relatable (laughs) Um, yeah like I'm I've thought some of those as well and you know I'm not a product business but um yeah it's it seems like it kind of runs the gamut from like thought like assumptions about their customer or assumptions about other people and then also like assumptions about like your own self or your own you know worth or the worth of your products too it's like both ends of it you're getting hit with definitely like when I mentioned earlier about like the mindset piece that goes alongside the manufacturing and the marketing that's probably like what we're talking about is all of the things that come up and you just have this negative voice that goes around in your head all day long Mm -hmm. and just even knowing that everybody has that is really quite 
soothing in a way because I think it's easy to think oh you know she's doing this like why isn't her brain telling her how rubbish she is and Mm -hmm. like it is that everybody's brain has that um to try and keep them safe and keep them small and you know in your safe space or in your you know kind of stems back from being a cave woman and stepping outside of your comfort zone means stepping outside of your cave and back in the day that could mean being eaten alive by a Mm -hmm. big scary animal but um our brains haven't really developed that much since then like our subconscious part of our brain should I say Mm -hmm. and so when you do come to doing something really scary your brain is like no 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 don't do that don't step outside the cave because um you could get eaten by you know lions and tigers and bears and all the rest of it but I guess I'm here to tell you like your brain doesn't know the difference between talking on camera about your new dress that you've designed and big scary animal eating you alive Um, (laughs) if you step outside the cave like your brain and your body react in the exact same way which is Mm -hmm. why it does feel so scary Um, and I just want you like when you are running a business I think it's really important to have this basic understanding of how your brain works because otherwise you really get in your own head about like why is it that I can't do this why can everybody else do this but me Mm -hmm. and I guess it's that other people are using that five percent part of their conscious brain versus the 95 percent subconscious to pacify it and say yeah that that actually there is a difference because your conscious part of your brain does know that there's a difference between those two scary things but because your subconscious brain is 95 percent of your brain it does just take up so much space and time and energy thinking these negative thoughts yeah that makes sense um so one thing like as you were talking I'm curious about so is do you think this like mindset side of things or that list of kind of feelings and um, that you went through that you hear from designers, is this something that is kind of unique to kind of independent designers and brands, or is it something that you also saw when you were kind of working for bigger suppliers and brands um, that like, is there that same kind of feelings when it is a larger like corporation of a brand rather than just like the designer who may be like the only person in their company? That's such a good question. And the answer is like, no, there is um, there is a, a difference. Like big brands don't feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I think they might put a design out and think that might do well. It might not. But let's find out. You know, there, there might it's not like they put everything out thinking, yeah, this is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. There are some things that they feel like that about. And then there are some things where they're not sure But I think because you have a team and you have guidance and you're looking at the numbers and you're looking at the trends and there is so much like analytics that goes into it. And at the end of the day, it's not your money that you're spending. It's somebody else's money. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) So if it doesn't work, we'll try again next season and we'll try again and try again until we get it right. I don't think there's as much of an emotional connection to the product when you're a buyer in a brand you're more probably worried about like your reputation or your your job status Mm -hmm. you know you just have a poor selling collection season after season it's really going to damage your reputation but it's not the same feeling as being scared to put something up for sale it's uh yeah it's a different feeling yeah, probably because it's like less, like you said, less personal. Like when it's something that you've created, it it feels more vulnerable to put it out there because it's it's like you're putting a piece of yourself out there rather than, yeah, if it was just your job and it was somebody else's design and somebody else's money, then it's just like, okay, you know, I want to do good at my job, but it's not personal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and there's like pros and cons to it. And- you know, you're putting something out and if it doesn't sell, it's it's only you that you have to answer to. Whereas in a corporate environment, you've got a whole board of directors like waiting on answers and sales results. So it's mm-hmm. a different kind of pressure, but it's definitely a less emotional attachment, like you say. 
Yeah. Cool. So you kind of went through the, the list of designers' opinions and perspective on selling. I'm curious to know, though, what is your opinion on selling? Yeah, I I enjoy it, actually, because when, so when I was working as a buyer, that was one set of skills. Working as a supplier was a completely different set of skills. Like you, the guy that I worked for when I was at the supplier, he always used to hire ex-buyers because he knew that we knew what the buyer wanted. Mm -hmm. He was like, you've been in their position, you understand their job, you understand the pressures they're under, you understand the formats and, you know, the, the buying schedules. So I think you're the best people to work with buyers. And we're like, okay. But even though we understood what they were like, you then just took on a service role in the most literal sense I guess that you were Mm -hmm. of service to the buyer you bent over backwards to get their samples in on time or get them the prices that they needed you would um, lay out breakfast um, like platters for the meetings for the buyers to come in and you would just like woo them with all your brand new designs and it was such an experience in surrendering I guess to being in control of the product and kind of designing to the design uh, to the buyer's brief Mm -hmm. you you didn't have a huge amount of control over anything really you were just like a slave to them (laughs) it sounds a bit extreme but Mm -hmm. it did feel like that sometimes and when you're on a supply when you're working for a supplier your results are determined by how many items the buyer buys so it's kind of similar to having a brand in a way like the headspace that you get put into because Mm -hmm. to an extent it's a little bit out of your control and all you can do is provide the highest level of service and then on top of that I think it's also we we learned how to apply pressure to them to place the orders in the nicest way possible. So it wasn't just like, oh, here's a beautiful range of products. Um, pick what you like. It was like, this is really on trend and ASOS have already booked theirs. So we can give it to you for a really good price if you book by Friday or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, that was... Mm-hmm. Just making them think, oh, maybe I should book that too. Or, you know, the factory is only going to hold the price for one week because the cotton prices are going up. And these weren't lies, you know, they they were real actual things that were happening. But learning how to get somebody to buy right now was a really good skill that I learned there. Plus, like being of service to the buyer, which I don't think a lot of retailers want to step into they kind of just want the sales and I'm like you need to put in the work in order to get those sales because you're asking something from your buyer you're asking for them to part with their money mm-hmm. and so it's up to you to build enough trust between you and them and convince them that it's the right decision it's a whole level of psychology that you don't really learn about And I don't think it's talked about enough either. I think people just sort of see product plus social media equals money. And it's (laughs) not quite as simple as that. There is Mm -hmm. like, this. we're not working as robots. We're working with human beings. And human beings are so complex in their thought process that you need to understand how people buy. And also looking at how you buy yourself as well. Like knowing that you might take three months to buy something but when you're selling something you upload one picture of it nobody buys it and then you shut yourself away in a dark room for three weeks it's um Mm -hmm. you need to remember that the buying process and the selling process are two very different things and I think kind of going back to your original question once I understood all of that 
it made selling much more enjoyable. Yeah. So you talked about, it seems like kind of the key things that you learned were, were the, how to actually, well, how to serve the buyer and understand them and get, get in their head, but then also how to be, be direct in a pleasant way of asking for a sale, not just be like, do you like it? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but kind of a clear call to would, action. Would you like to buy this, you know, yeah. by Friday and, and kind of a clear, give them a clear path forward. It sounds like. Yeah. And then I guess the third part of it, which I've glossed over, which is probably really obvious, but just providing the best possible product out there mm-hmm. um, for the best possible price for, um that suits them their brief so perfectly and this is all like I hope you can see this is all like applicable to you know if I was talking about a buyer you can swap that for customer and mm-hmm. if you listen to what your customer is telling you what are they asking for what are they showing you with what your sales are looking like so if you've sold 30 pink tops in comparison to two white ones don't then go and create like loads of new white things before you've tested it a little bit further. And I'm mm-hmm. using that as an example because I, I went through a client's website with her recently and we were like, what's working? What's not like, let's find out what, our, what your customer is telling you. And she was like, this sold, this didn't, this sold, this didn't, this sold. And we were going through the website. I was like, they actually hate white things. <laughs> like <laughs> they, they don't buy white from you. And she was like, oh my god that's so true yeah everything white and I think until you just stop and look at the analytics and what your customer is trying to tell you that you will really benefit from focusing on the numbers looking at your best sellers looking at your worst sellers and then creating products off the back of that information Mm -hmm. yeah that's such a great point so we touched on it a little bit but I'd love to know, like, what are some things about sales and marketing that designers worry about needlessly? And then (laughs) what are some things that they should be giving more thought to, but often don't? I think starting with the needlessly one is that no one is interested. Assuming that no one is interested Mm -hmm. and no one has any money right now, because that's not or that nobody can afford it. That's none of your business in the nicest way possible. Mm-hmm. It's not your business to worry about what people can and can't afford. You have to set your prices at a level that is profitable and commercial um, that is viable to make your business run. But worrying what people can and can't afford is so subjective and also so out of your control that it's just a waste of time worrying about that you should be focusing on how you can portray why it's priced the way it is and the value that your customer is going to receive through investing that money and making that exchange so I'd say that's what people worry about needlessly is like the fact no one's got any money whether they can afford it and whether they're even interested because if people are following you, they've given or like signed up to your mailing list or whatever, they've already given you the green light to talk about your stuff. Mm-hmm. And by you not talking about it, they're just sat there waiting. It's like buying a ticket for the Beyonce concert and she doesn't come out on stage because <laughs> she's like, oh, what if nobody's interested? And it's like, well, everyone's bought a ticket to the show. Like go out on stage and <laughs> give them something to watch. And it's the exact same. And, you know, if somebody doesn't enjoy the show halfway through, they'll probably just leave and that's fine. But there'll be loads of other people who do carry on. And I think using that same Beyonce analogy, she doesn't stop singing because she might see one person walking out the back door and ignore the 300,000 other people who are cheering her on. I'd say that's something that small businesses do is like really 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 focus on the negative um rather than sort of celebrating those wins and celebrating all the people who are there who are supporting them and celebrating what it is that they're doing 
And then things that they worry about that I think are probably quite important. Um, I'm just looking at my list here. The list is so long that I'm like, where could it be? Where do we begin? Maybe like how to attract the right customer. I'd say that's something that comes up quite often and is a a valid worry um, about there is two ways you can think about it. There is you can actively seek out your ideal customer. So when people go, oh, where do I find them? You know, where go out and find them when you're sat in your spare bedroom, like where am I going I don't understand (laughs) I don't even understand what the phrase means and to go out and find people usually I would say takes money so things like paying influencers to post your products and get it in front of their audience which is your audience as well or paying for Facebook advertising where you can specifically target the right demographic. So in order to seek out your ideal audience, I think is a a costly exercise. And what I try and teach people is almost like how to grow a fashion brand on a budget. And the way to do that is through content marketing, where you're actively attracting your ideal audience instead of seeking them out. And by that, I mean, creating content that you think your ideal audience would be interested in and being the lighthouse, like the lighthouse stands still and the boats come to it rather than being out in the dark on a boat, not knowing like where it is you're trying to find your ideal customer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That makes a lot of sense. It's a little bit more... I think that method, and I totally agree with you, like, that's a smart way to do it when it's, especially when you don't know exactly, like, who your customer is, but, Uh like, creating content that works well for your brand, works well for who you want your, you know, customer to be, and then the right people find you, and then, like, later on, if you do have more money and want to, you know, find more of them, you at least, you, like, have more information and you already have kind of an audience and, and customers to start with. I think that's really smart. Yeah, exactly that. Cool. Um, so one of the things I know you talk about is selling your products without selling your soul, which yeah. I love the phrase um, because I think that's, you know, kind of ties into, well, you've got the practical side of things and then you also have the like, how people feel about selling side of things um so what are the keys to that do you think I think it's first of all just becoming okay with the idea of selling we we are so nurtured into believing that selling is a bad thing or being salesy is a bad thing Mm-hmm. because we think of all famous salespeople in the world and I can only think of bad ones like um the horrible lady in the shop and pretty woman or wolf of wall street or the dad in the matilda film and they're (laughs) all not very nice people and that is what we've grown up with and then uh, putting that aside lots of small businesses and people who are designers tend to be quite nice people (laughs) and so (laughs) they don't associate with those character traits and think well that's what being a salesperson is and I'm not like that so I don't want to be salesy but what tends to happen then is they don't sell at all and then they don't make any sales so there is a definite sliding scale it's not so black and white that selling is bad and not selling is good it's the fact that being a bad salesperson is bad but I worked in sales for five years and I believe myself to be a good person Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe just showing people examples of how you can be a good salesperson. So, you know, like the examples I mentioned earlier about explaining why it's important for somebody to be buying right now and sharing a really 
excellent level of customer service and really listening to your audience and providing something that makes their life easier or happier or more joyful or simpler or more comfortable like that's okay to do that if anything that's a really nice thing to do to provide a I don't know a printed co-ord set for somebody to feel great in on the beach when they've had body confidence issues and they've never felt so good in something that's so easy to wear Mm -hmm. that's nice like you're allowed to sell things to people in a positive way so I, I just try and to like disconnect the idea of the fact selling is bad altogether because it's not. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And like building that positive, like look for the positive sales things of like, I'm even thinking of times like I've bought something and I've been like so happy to have spent the money, you know? Yeah, <laughs> And exactly. so it's like, it's not like you're like, they're, they're not doing you a favor, you know, by uh-huh. buying your thing, like you're helping them, like you're solving their problem. And um, I love that you talked about really knowing, you know, what, what problem you're solving, like how, what are they, what do they want or what are they trying to avoid and, and how do they want to feel and all that? Because I like, as a pattern maker, like I, I focus on kind of the same things, like knowing as much about your customer as possible so that when you're creating the product and making it fit, like, you know, what it would, you know, what you need to do to like nail it and make it just Uh like the best thing ever for the customer, you know? Um, and it sounds like it's a very similar approach of like service and understanding and empathy on the sales side as it is on like the product creation side things a hundred percent yeah all of the all of the above (laughs) (laughs) I think just to kind of um reiterate that is if people are listening and they grab a pen and paper just think about the problem that you solve the person that you help and the promise that you deliver Mm. and writing those three things down And really knowing those three things inside out will help clarify so much in your business so that you don't get distracted with shiny object syndrome when something Mm -hmm. comes along. Or, you know, if you see one of your friends being like, oh, I've started selling beanbags and they're they're selling out, everything is going crazy for me. And you're like maybe I should sell beanbags <laughs> but it's actually got nothing to do with the person that you help or the promise you deliver or any of the above so um yeah it just kind of keeps you on track knowing those three things yeah and those are great um so backing up a little bit like what is the is there a difference between marketing and selling because the beginning you talked about the three pillars marketing mindset and manufacturing but then we've been talking about a lot about selling so is there a difference between those two and if so what is that difference yeah definitely I would say marketing is telling people what you do over and over and over again and just being visible to your audience and sharing the story giving value to your audience and having a conversation with them, I guess. So marketing is probably like the umbrella that sales sits within. Mm. And what I see people doing online is a lot of, well, you know, sometimes no marketing um, or a lot of marketing, but no selling. And so they'll be talking about what they're eating for lunch, you know, letting people in on their day, getting people to get to know them, talking about their pets, talking about where they live, talking about the fabrics that they've chosen, um, discussing the fit of how things are going, you know, like here's my first fit sample, here's my second fit sample. And then they just go around again. And I'm like, are you a girl who loves sewing? Or are you, (laughs) can I buy any of this stuff that you're talking about? Um, And if you just think of two little birds on a wire sat outside and one's looking in one direction and one's looking the other direction and one is thinking god I really wish I could tell them what my prices were and ask them to buy and then the other bird is like god I really wish they would just give me a link to buy this thing (laughs) Um, and 
you're it's like you're so close but so far in making the sale and if you just every now and then said this is available to buy um so I would say that's one side of it but then the other side is people don't really know how to market and all they do is say great t-shirt 22 pounds available via the link in my bio and they just sell 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 and actually they lose their customers interest altogether and so it's all about finding a balance between the marketing and the sales because you want to keep their attention but you also want to make money so Mm -hmm what I suggest is that you put out a marketing style post that is providing value to your audience and that can be something like a mood board of your brand or your collection and then perhaps you talk about how to measure yourself if all of your products are made to order and then you put out a post that is like everything about me behind the scenes and then you ask somebody to buy that makes sense and then you go around again and you go value 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 sell value 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 sell and you go around in a in a loop like that yeah that makes sense and it's so cool so um is that kind of like the ratio of kind of like marketing kind of engagement start a conversation type posts versus selling type posts is I think you did like four to one or what's it like five to one yeah I'd say it's like three to one so okay if you if you think about a magazine a magazine will have like article 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 ad article 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 ad and that is of interest to you as a reader Whereas if it's a catalogue, like think about the Ikea catalogue as an example, it's just like chair, £300, cushion, £20. And there is nothing to read or like keep you engaged. You might just flick through it. Then maybe there's some styling suggestions, but that's that's maybe it. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to be more like a magazine than you do a catalog catalog yeah yeah that makes sense it's like bringing the humanness and Mm. the connection in before you're selling but it's like you need the selling both to serve your customer and to keep your business going exactly Um, yeah cool um so we talked about posting and so I'm, I'm, that makes me think social media, but like in general, where should designers be selling? Like, is it on social media? Are there other ways to market and sell kind of from a broader perspective? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I I probably use social media as an example because it's my priority platform. But mm-hmm. you've got to think about having a sales funnel in whatever format that looks like. So you need, if your funnel is broken down into three sections and the biggest bit at the top where you're filling the funnel up is discovering new people. And let's say TikTok is a really great example of that or going to in-person events is another great way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Facebook ads is another great way so you're always filling the funnel up with new people so that's really important and that's like step one then step two is nurturing those people and I do think that Instagram is such a good place to nurture people because you can create that content you can have conversations with people in the dms and you know, maybe YouTube is another good example of it as well, that podcasts, um, so doing things like this, you're really nurturing a relationship mm-hmm. over time. And then the next one down from that is then asking for the sale. So email marketing, say, is probably the most effective way to get sales if, if you've got an online business. So what you don't want to do is only have, you know, if you're going to pick two or three platforms to focus on, you don't want all sales platforms or all nurturing or all discovery. You want one of each. 
That's so smart. So it's like something to meet people, something to like hang out and chat with people, and then something to be able to actually make your sales offers. Yes. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And like, I hadn't thought of breaking it down into like deciding which channel is which and can they can they be like can you use obviously instagram for both like selling and maybe me like you could you could use one platform for multiple of these or do you kind of recommend having a different one or like a focus of like this is the main reason why i'm here on this platform yeah i think that's more it it's like the main reason why you're on it so i know that i make sales off of instagram but I wouldn't want to put all my eggs in one basket to use that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when people do rely on Instagram and, you know, you've heard it a million times, they're like, what if Instagram goes down? And that's probably unlikely, but what is likely that I've seen happen a lot is your account disappears or you get hacked or mm-hmm. you just wake up one day and it's not there anymore. And what do you do if you had 5,000 followers, 10 hundred thousand followers but you didn't have an email list you're screwed so just really trying to move those people over onto a sales platform like email I personally use Flowdesk because I like it and it looks pretty and it's (laughs) easy to use and it was created by a woman and I just think that it works well with my brain um but whatever works for you you know yeah yeah that's super smart it's like make sure at least one of the one of those platforms you're on is something you have a little bit more control over or like duplicate across multiple so that you you aren't putting all your eggs in one basket yes cool so a little bit more on the practical side so talk about where people should be selling and like you know how often to sell but when should people be like when should they be selling in terms of like you know how how you know how often are we talking like we talked about kind of every third you know three three marketing one selling but like how often are you actually how how often are those posts coming out um and then in relation to maybe like when the product is available when are you starting to sell it Yeah, so hmm, I don't want to make people do anything that they don't want to do. But what I would say is that the more often you post, the quicker somebody will move through this this customer journey. Mm. So if you're only posting once a week and that's all you can do, that is absolutely fine. But just know it's going to take somebody a lot longer to build that trust with you in order to part with their money. And if you're okay with that, then I'm okay with that. If you're not okay with that, then I would recommend trying to post four times a week. And so trying to get all those four, you know, the value, value, value sell Mm -hmm. each week. Because it will just keep the momentum. It will keep the consistency. It will get the ball rolling. People will start coming back and relying on you for content and engagement and entertainment. And that's a nice feeling to be like a pillar in somebody's little world and coming back and checking in each day with what you're up to. So I would recommend trying to post four times a week and sending one email either a week or a fortnight. And that is probably going to get you some consistent sales if you're using that kind of framework. Yeah, makes sense. It's um, kind of like that's the speed where it's it's not like a certain amount of time that somebody needs to be like hanging out with your brand before buying, but it's like a, you know, seeing a certain amount of posts or like hearing from you a certain amount of time so that could be like really spread out as you said or like really close together we know like that people need to see something seven to eleven times before they make a purchase so the quicker they can see those seven to eleven things the better whereas if it takes six months to see seven to eleven things it's going to take six months for somebody to buy it but 
also you're just losing their attentions like somebody else might be competing for their attention I guess in that in those gaps that you're not showing up and will steal them away from you and it is a bit of a competition when you think about it like that it's like I know it sounds bad but it's like who can shout the loudest is or my mum says the squeaky wheel gets oiled <laughs> and the the one that makes the most amount of noise is the one that gets the most amount of attention and it, it's the same with ecom and it's not to be like saying that you have to physically shout it's just to say that you need to be present and you need to be visible in order for people to actually take notice of you mm-hmm and do you, um, like, I know you, you have a workshop and, and you talk a lot about, like, how to be, how to show up and be visible online. Um, what are some of the kind of biggest hurdles that you see for people who are, you know, wanting to do that, but, like, what's stopping them? And then maybe, like, one or two what are the biggest like helpful tips for somebody who's like I want to do this but I don't know how I I would say let's use social media as an example I didn't know how to use social media so I went on a course (laughs) I knew how to post about having a fun drunken night out with my friends every now and then or posting a picture of my cat but using Instagram to sell or using Instagram for business you need a strategy and if you don't know how then please like invest a little bit of time and money in learning how to do that I think Mm -hmm. what some people sit at home and look at other people in maybe an envious way and think how have they managed to do that I don't understand and it's because they they have invested into their business to learn um and so at the very very beginning I found an Instagram for business workshop and honestly it was like the best money I ever spent it was just like (laughs) a couple of hours just going through a a strategy you know and it is similar to this like value 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 sell and things like that um so I would say that's probably the first thing if you're like completely clueless then please like find a course find somebody that you like that you just stick to their one strategy for a little while. I would say often I see people go jumping from different one strategy to the other. And it's not like there is one strategy that works. There is multiple strategies that could work. But if you're trying to do all of them, then none of them are going to work for you. So try and find somebody that you like, that you trust, that you resonate with. And just stick to something and trust the process for like three months and see what difference that can make Mm. and then I would say people get really nervous about speaking on camera um again it's kind of goes back to that cave woman thing of stepping outside of your comfort zone and worrying what might happen and what if everyone laughs at me and those feelings can feel as scary as stepping outside of the cave and that's literally why your body might you know your voice might shake or your palms go sweaty or you get a red rash coming up your neck or your cheeks go red because your body genuinely thinks that it's in danger and Mm -hmm. you can use the conscious part of your brain now to say like be kind to your mind and say thanks for raising the fact that this feels scary but I'm fine I'm okay (laughs) I'm just talking to a piece of plastic in my bedroom it's all okay it's all good um and just kind of taking it slow so maybe the the reason why you see lots of people talking to the camera is because it works it does build no like and trust with people at a quicker pace than flat imagery does and again, we want we know now that we want to be moving people through this customer journey pretty swiftly. And not only does it do that, but it improves the quality of your engagement, which are actually kind of linked. So if somebody presses like a pink heart, and they're like, oh, I like this, like, like, cute, so cute. And they're the kind of comments you're getting 
it's those people aren't showing any interest in buying they're kind of just being nice <laughs> but when you start talking to the camera and talking through your products and letting people in on who you are and what your voice sounds like and your your personality and your sense of humor and your creativity people will then start saying oh I really like this when is when is that is this available what sizes do you have what's that fabric what does is it is it see-through and you know those kind of questions are buying signals they're they're telling you that they're interested and so that's really encouraging to then keep going um so yeah I guess like around visibility it's just similar to the selling thing it's like assuming people are interested trying to get your personality across in the videos knowing that most people in your audience have bought you know they've bought that ticket to the show and they're waiting for you to show up and talk talk to them and <laughs> just relaxing into it I guess <laughs> it's just mm -hmm. it's not that deep but that's the other thing I would say yeah, I, I love that analogy of the Beyonce concert of like, people are following you because they want to hear from you. And so like, show show up and talk to them because that's what they like, <laughs> yeah. want to hear. Um, yeah. That's such a great analogy. Um, so does it, so a lot of this, I mean, again, it strikes me, it's like, it's very personal. It's like you mentioned even like showing your personality and showing your face. Um, does it have to be the designer themselves or like, you know, the, the brand owner or can it be maybe like the social media manager? Like, does the face of the brand always have to be kind of the owner of the designer of the brand? No, I don't think so. Um, I, I have seen brands that hire a social media manager. So there is one uh, brand in particular that I can think of called Panty. So it's like P-A-N-T-E-E. -E. And there are two <laughs> sisters that are running it. But the girl that's in, in all the videos is their social media content creator. But she has then become the face associated with that brand. So you, it's more like you just want to be, build familiarity with someone <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and again I'm not saying that you have to do this I'm just saying I have seen it work well for people and if you have a product that is flying off the shelves then maybe you don't need to do it and that's cool um, and maybe if you are more of an introvert you could still show your personality through a voiceover of sort of b-roll content that you know where you're just filming your hands sewing and you can talk over that video like you don't have to be face to camera all the time or it might be that you blog and you're really you're a really good writer and you know all your captions are really heartfelt it's not to say that face to camera is the only way to show off your personality like there's definitely other ways to do it but to your point I guess it's just around like the consistency I don't think it's good to be like one day it's you then you disappear for a while then another girl turns up who's managing your socials and they disappear and then one minute you're really fun and the next minute you're really serious and the next minute you're this it's just trying to find that consistency that people can almost like put you in a box so I'm sure we've all like gone out for lunch with our friends and you go, oh, do you follow so-and-so? And they go, no, what, who is it? Why, like, tell me about them. You go, oh, mm -hmm. they are a brand that makes um, pants out of t-shirts to use the panty example. And they, it's almost like you need a one sentence line <laughs> that mm -hmm. people would say about you because that's, that comes from being consistent and having one clear, consistent message. Yeah, I mean, that's how I had, why I reached out to you to record this episode is, um, you know, I've been following you and took one of your workshops a while back. And when people were asking questions and saying they were having, you know, challenges with, with selling and finding, you know, customers and kind of the marketing side of things, I was like, well, I know who exactly to, to invite <laughs> to have this conversation. 
because you have shown up and you, you know, do talk about these topics. And so you were the first person to like pop into my head when, when those topics came up. Oh, that's good. It's nice to know it's working. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so back to kind of more practical things about, um, selling and when to sell. So another thing that I think is maybe a challenge for people or that I've seen or even wondered about myself is like, okay, say you're releasing a new product, say you're going to have these these new dresses um, available September 1st. What would you do leading up to that? And kind of, you know, a big picture, what would you do leading up to that? And when would you actually start selling? Yeah, so... I would have a thing. I really like that you, that's probably the first thing is like set a date and work backwards. Mm -hmm. And so then it's like, when would you start photographing those things? When would you start choosing the fabrics? Are you making them beforehand? Are you making them to order? Are you um, like, when would you need to design them? When would you go out and get inspiration for them? And so like mapping those dates in, And then it is very much around like documenting the process rather than trying to create something magical and brand new that doesn't really exist. If you're if you start designing these dresses in, I don't know, the end of July, then show people the designs and say, you know, today I'm working on designing a new collection for September if you're interested join the sign sign up to my mailing list that's probably like your main call to action between like in the run-up to the launch is just getting people onto the list you're going to have first access um there's only going to be a limited amount of pieces here's some teasers of the fabrics can you guess uh, which of the shapes I'm carrying over from last season is there mm. anything that you want to see in the in the run-up to this launch um And then when you're booking your photo shoot in, you can share some behind the scenes of that photo shoot and go, oh, you know, it's coming, it's coming. I'm so excited. And just your general enthusiasm for the launch is going to be very, very infectious. So I would say it's around managing your energy into the launch, but whilst also documenting the process and taking your customer along with the journey with you. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of things like these are all things before they're available on September 1st that you're doing (laughs) like around them because, yeah, that's why I wanted to ask those questions because I think you can get so caught up, designers can get so caught up in like creating the product and getting it ready and and getting it together and like they sing it's like crickets on the outside like nobody knows what's happening and all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. it's like September 1st look new dresses and then people like, are why would I want that and yeah like, yeah and not in a horrible way but it's like sell it to me like why should I why do I need this that's kind of the subconscious thoughts that's going on in your customer's brain mm-hmm. and so really built up that anticipation and on that I would really recommend reading a book called Oversubscribed by Daniel Priestley it's such a good book to talk about hype and anticipation and basically being oversubscribed for a launch um I've read it like three times but I might actually read it again because it's been a while um and it's just a really good reminder on how to get more people interested in your products than the number of products that are available that would be a great problem to have I think for yeah exactly yeah Yeah, so it sounds like really like building up the anticipation so that people are like geared up and they're like ready to buy by you know when it's available instead of like waiting till the day it's available to start talking about it a hundred percent yeah like if you were to take anything away from this podcast this whole hour conversation (laughs) that one sentence would be it yeah so cool um so elizabeth what ways do you help designers work on their sales mindset and strategy like if people are like this is me i need help with all of this (laughs) i want to learn more um what kind of things do you help them with yeah so i would say if you're making sales on a daily basis but you're looking to scale your business then I work with 
brands one-to-one. If you're struggling with coming up with a marketing plan to nurture your audience, be more visible, then I have a four-week course called The Visibility Project. And it's all around creating a really consistent social media strategy for your business. Um, And then I've got another four-week course called The Sales Project, which is all around selling without the sleaze and learning how to master the art of sales. Awesome. Yeah, those are so cool. Um, I'm sure a lot of people will be interested in that because, yeah, it's it's one thing to create a beautiful product, but then it's hard to sustain that it's a business unless you know how to sell, too. So I know. It's like really and important. You see people spending months and months making a product and designing it and coming up with the idea and sourcing the fabric and sewing it and and then they just put one post out and it doesn't do anything. And they then think, oh, maybe it's because I didn't do it in blue. And so mm-hmm. they then start the whole process again, um, coming up with a dress in a blue fabric and then making the same mistake all over again. And I'm like, we need to break this cycle. <laughs> it is not the fact that you didn't do it in blue. It's the fact that you didn't promote it properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, people just sort of, sort of tend to stick in their comfort zone of creating the products, but not necessarily marketing them and selling them. So, yeah, definitely come and have a look if that sounds like you. Well, and I'll put links to that in the show notes so people can um, see more information if they're interested. Yeah. Um. So I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the work that you do, what would it be? I would say what gets me up in the morning is helping creative people make money because mm. when we're growing up, we're kind of told that you can be this poor, starving artist, struggling along, but doing what you love or being a stressed out person in the city, making loads of money. And I really want to show people that it is possible to have both. You can make money from doing what you love. That is a possibility that you just might not have got told at school. But in reality, I've seen lots of people do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I I agree that in (laughs) in general, you hear starving artists yeah thriving artist as the and it's just because people think that being an artist and being creative those skills aren't conducive to making money and it's just it's just not true like being a creative means that you don't think in the same way you don't think in straight lines but it means that you can also come up with new and creative ways to sell your product and yeah I just I I love working with people doing exactly that so yeah it sounds like it comes back to like use your strengths and your personality and like what makes you and your your art or your product unique Mm. talk about that yeah being proud of that as well I think people sort of shy away and trying to be the same as everyone else but then it just feels really inauthentic and falls on flat ears but Mm-hmm. really I mean it took my like if we were to look at my account it took me five years to get 5,000 followers and then a year later I had about 15,000 oh, wow. and it's just because it takes time <laughs> but also I would say it's when I really was myself on my page and that came like obviously came across so even if you think you're being yourself there's probably like another onion layer that you could peel off and like actually be yourself in the same way that you are with your friends mm. yeah great point well this has been such a fun conversation Elizabeth um thank you so much for joining me where can people find out more about you online so I am at Elizabeth Styles UK and that's S-T-I-L-E-S. Um, not like fashion styles, like the part with the Y, <laughs> um, which would be handy. And yeah, come find me on there. All the links of my website and stuff are through my Instagram. So it's probably the easiest place to find me. Um, well, this has been so fun. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been such a pleasure. 
That's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you would like more episodes and resources like this about growing a fashion business that fits your customer, lifestyle, and values, sent straight to your inbox, you can sign up for my email list at alisonhainis.com newsletter. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-H-O-E-N-E-S dot com slash newsletter. Again, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of How Fitting.